0: Matthew chapter 6, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, also really formally, uh, formally known as the Lord's Prayer, but really uh, it's a prayer for us, the disciples, those who want to follow Jesus. And, and uh, it's a model, it's not a magic formula, it's a model really that we can use to help us to pray. Jesus said, I'm going to teach you how to pray, and so he gave this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We looked at the first part last week. And the first half of it really deals with God. It starts with Him. It always, it needs to start with Him. Usually what happens is we let it start with us. But Jesus said, this is how you pray. He starts with our Father. It starts with Him. God, our Father. And it talks about His name. Hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. So we start with Him in, in, in worship. We start with Him in like acknowledging who He is. It's a simple concept, but again, we, we get it wrong. We just, we just do it our way. God, I'm in trouble. I need help. But we first need to start with Him and say, God, let's think about who You are. And then when we get to the second half, like what we're going to look at today, our needs and the necessities of life, you know, these things when you put them in the context of who god is they they become smaller more manageable if you if you will so our needs part two him first number one life's necessities number two the forgiveness of sins number three deliverance from temptation testing and from. From evil and the evil one. Look at verse 11. It says this. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. The first thing he talks about is the reality of the, the needs that we have in this life. It's reality. Okay, and, and prayer, prayer is not just some you know, super spiritual thing. It's about reality yeah we have needs but God first and then our needs and needs are real the realities of the needs in this life but he's, he brings it into a, a plane that I don't think we often we often think is that it's a daily dependence on him when you think back to the book of Exodus right and and the Lord provided for the people in the wilderness how did he do it anybody remember I can't even hear you, but um, I think you probably said it, manna. Someone said it up here, manna. The word manna means, what is it? Because they didn't quite understand, well, what is it? Well, what it was is that God was providing for them, but it was every day God provided. Every day God would, would rain down manna, and they were not to go and store a whole bunch of it up. There was one day they were to gather for two days so that they could have the Sabbath, the day of rest, Where they could just chill out. Sorry, I didn't mean to use that word. But daily God would provide for them. Now notice too that they they also they still had to go out and gather the manna, right? It wasn't just dropped into their refrigerators. Oh, another cold word, I'm sorry. (laughs) This is really getting bad. They had to go out every day and gather it. So there there certainly isn't a place in God's provision that we need to go out and do what we can to work. It's a difficult economy. Yes, some of us have trouble. You know, we don't have jobs. We've been laid off or whatever. But to still do what we need to do, we still need to do our parts, God willing. It says in the book of uh, Deuteronomy that, that God gives us the ability to work, to provide for us. So today, he says, today, give us today our daily bread. The word there speaks about it being sufficient for the day. If you're anything like me, and God forbid that you'd be anything like me, you would, would, would think and become worried and anxious about tomorrow. But he said, today, give us today our daily bread. Someone said this, that provision for the future is not condemned. But what is? It's this thing about anxiety. It's the thing about worrying. Look at the end of the chapter, if you will, please, there in verse 34. It says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Today, he says, I'm going to provide for you. Today, I'm going to take care of you. How many of us are were freaking out because you know, the rent is going to be due two weeks from now? Now that seems like a short period of time, but, but you know, we have these necessities. We have you know, food, we have you know, rent, and we have utilities, and shelter, and, and clothing, and all these different needs. But do you have what you need for today? And can you trust God today? That's what Jesus is saying here. He's going to take care of us. If there's one thing that I've found over 30 some odd years of, of being a, a Christian is that God is faithful. I get to this over and over again in my own life that God is faithful. He's faithful to meet each one of us. He's faithful to provide for each one of us. He's faithful to take care of us. He's faithful to speak to us. God is faithful and he's faithful in your need, whatever that need might be. He says today. Give us today our daily bread. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 30. And perhaps Jesus was thinking about these verses when he was teaching them how to pray, but look at Proverbs chapter 30, about in the middle of your Bibles there, just after the Psalms. Proverbs 30, verse 7. The writer says there in verse 7, Two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me Before I die, keep falsehood and lies far from me. That's the first thing. Secondly, he says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. He says, give me just enough. Give me just enough. I get too much. At, you know, I'm just going to do my own thing and forget about God, and he's not going to have any part in my life. Why depend on him at all if I have you know, millions in the bank account? And again, it's not wrong to have those things. It's wrong to trust in them. But when we don't have enough, on the other hand, too, we, we, we're going to go give the Lord a bad name by, by doing things we shouldn't be doing. Give me only my daily bread. He says there's a benefit in in God providing day by day. Paul says in 1 Timothy Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I hope most of you had breakfast this morning perhaps you maybe you don't have any food in the house I I think that if you don't we'd like to help you some way somehow It seems like you all have clothing on God is providing for you today you got here somehow whether you came in a in a car or you came in a bus or you gotta ride with someone else or a bicycle or or whatever Is God providing for you today? He says there, give us today our daily bread. The Life Application Bible Commentary says this about the Lord's Prayer. He says every component component of the Lord's Prayer can be described as daily. Our continual need for bread points to our deeper daily need for God. He says, the request for today's bread keeps our relationship with God in the present tense. There's a reason he wants that this happens. Because he wants to have fellowship with us today. He gives us enough for the whole month, and again, we may not even talk to him for a month. But if we have what we need for today, and we, need, and we come to him again tomorrow, I need today, I need Today I have a need. Today I need you, first of all. Today I need bread. Today I need help. Today I want to trust you. The reality of the physical needs we have, they're real. And God is real and he will provide. He's faithful. It's for you and I to trust him today. Today. Don't worry about tomorrow, next month, next year. Today. The second thing there, he says, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. This idea of forgiveness is such a radical, radical thing. He talks about the needs first, and then he goes right to a need for forgiveness. Now, we all need forgiveness. We all sin. We all make mistakes. We all blow it. I was speaking to somebody recently, you know, who is not a believer, and they were, they were, you know, upset. Oh, the Christian this or the Christian that. And I said, you know what, we are not perfect. Christians are not perfect. We need forgiveness. We need forgiveness for, from God. And he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. He, there's this, there's this uh, relationship that we have with God and that we have with others that, that is kind of intertwined. If you know, notice there, he says he, he puts the two together, forgiving that we're forgiven. And really this word for debts here in Luke, the Luke's uh, version of this prayer, he talks about forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And the word debts, uh, when, you, when you can look at it, it really kind of means the same thing those failings, those sins that we commit, that people commit against us. The reality of it is is that we sin and that others sin and we need forgiveness. It's a radical, ongoing need. Now he's not talking about, let me make one thing clear quickly, is that he's not talking about the forgiveness that that comes at salvation. That's a free gift. We're we're saved, we're forgiven of, of all of our sins, completely Totally, fully, by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. It's not by what we do. It's not by how much we do this or how much we do that. But having said on all that, said all that, we, we have this ongoing relationship with God and with others that that you know sin gets in the way. Why else would the Bible say you know in First John one nine is that you know we. We go to the Lord and we confess our sins and he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But notice he says there that that there's this idea where they go together forgiving others and our forgiveness. It's, It's really this this, on this relationship basis is that our, our forgiveness is related to forgiving others. Look down at verse 14 and 15. He kind of gives a little more explanation about this thought. He says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. There's a connection here. There's a connection here. What goes around comes around. What we sow, we reap. If we're unforgiving towards others, and we're saying, God, please forgive me, he's saying, wait a minute, we, we, it needs to be a full. It needs to go both ways. How can we expect forgiveness when we don't forgive? I'm not saying that it's easy... To, that it's easy to forgive it may be the hardest thing that we would ever be called on to do is forgive someone who has hurt us forgive someone who has sinned against us who has, you know, radically you know, done something against me or against you I'm not saying it's an easy thing but, but, but Jesus is saying it here and it's in black and white I, you know, there's no uh, question that he said these words that you and I must forgive others if we want to experience the forgiveness from him if we want to walk in that forgiveness and experience it on a daily basis, we need to be willing to forgive others. I remember our Bible college director said about certain things is that maybe we're not able to do it, but are we willing to be willing? Maybe we're not even willing to forgive that person, but are we willing to be willing? Maybe we need to start out here and say, God, I hate that person. I'm angry at that person. I'm so bitter. There's so much pain there. But you see, my heart is, and I can't even think about forgiving that person, but if you just make me willing to be willing, he can do something. When we're willing to open our hearts to him, he's able to come in and do something and help us. Because the truth of the matter is that unforgiveness doesn't most often hurt the other person, does it? Who does it hurt? Us. Hurts me. I walk around with unforgiveness towards my father or towards my, you know, member of my family or somebody who's hurt me, somebody who's been, you know, evil to me. Ronald Reagan, you all remember him? He had an attempt on his life, right, in 1982. And it says that his daughter, Patty Davis, uh, she says this, that the following day, my father said he knew his physical healing was directly dependent on his ability to forgive John Hinckley. She said, by showing me that forgiveness is the key to everything, including physical health and healing, he gave me an example of Christ-like thinking. He knew that the future of his life, of his presidency, of, of, uh, of his own physical healing was going to be dependent on him forgiving How many things in our lives are being held up because we're not willing to forgive? It's powerful. It's very powerful. Paul said in Ephesians 4 that we should be forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Jesus said it here, you know, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And and this idea about forgiving others that we would be forgiven, well we need to take into account that we blow it. If we think I'm never going to forgive them and I don't really need forgiveness, well, that's making it like we'd never do anything wrong either. We don't need forgiveness. We're perfect. We've made it. We've arrived. I think there's not a person in this room that knows that that's not true. Forgive, he says, as we've been forgiven. Forgive others to experience that forgiveness. The third thing there in this prayer, he says, is lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. This word for temptation also means testing. You remember Jesus in the earlier part of the book where he was led by the Spirit into the desert, right? The wilderness, to be tested. Some of the older versions say tempted, right? To be tempted by the devil, to be tested. These words are, you know, they, they, they uh, both work in this same thing. So, but when you think about that, lead us not into temptation, it's kind of an unusual prayer. First of all, God doesn't tempt us. Second of all, God does allow us to be tested, though. So he's saying, "Lead us not into temptation," and I really you know I think about this. I was thinking about it and I did some reading about it as well i think I think my best understanding of it is this that it's a it's like a figure of speech that you state something negatively in order to say something positively. Lead us not into temptation, in other words, lead us out of temptation. Someone said this that Disciples, aware of their weakness, should not desire such testing and should pray to be spared exposure to such situations in which they are vulnerable. In other words, you and I knowing our own hearts, saying, God, don't, don't lead me into that situation. Lead me out of temptation. Lead me out of testing because you know, I'm not confident that I can survive it. This world, the reality of this world, there's plenty of, of temptation, is there not? There's plenty of testing. There's plenty of stuff that is is real in this life that we're going to face. God, help us. You might also see in it, though, is is this fact that that it's part of our prayers for the Lord to lead us. To be led by Him. To pray for guidance. I want to remind you of that statement in 1 Corinthians 10. We're not going to turn there now says that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man and God is what anybody know God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted he will also provide a way out he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it there's no temptation that sees you accept what's common. I mean, it's common, we all face it. It's a reality, this life of this world, living in these bodies, living in this world. God, lead us not into temptation. Father, lead us away from temptation. Protect us, help us, guide us. And finally and fourthly, he says there, but deliver us from the evil one. This word, evil one, can mean evil, as well as from the evil one. It can mean both. And the reality, again, is that both are problems in this world. There's evil in this world. You know, for, for anybody to say, you know, that the world is good and people are good and, and there is no evil in the world, that's just like, you know, having our heads in the sand, is it Not? God's creation is good. Don't misunderstand me. When God created, he said it's good. But when sin entered the human race and entered entered this world, you know, we find evil. Satan was there at the the Garden of Eden helping to usher in this evil, himself being the evil one, There is a reality, we cannot just have our heads in the sand, that there is spiritual warfare against the evil and the evil one, and we need his deliverance. We can't just do it on our own. We can't fight the good fight in our own strength, in our own flesh. Deliver us, we pray. Deliver us from the evil. Deliver us from the evil one. And I'm not speaking about Christians being demon-possessed. That's a whole nother subject, but I, I do not believe that Christians can be demon-possessed, but Christians can be oppressed and attacked. And sometimes we put ourselves in positions that make us even more vulnerable or prone to be attacked. We need to be very careful. Maybe that's the first part of this prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us out of those situations where the evil and the evil one are so very real. But deliver us from these attacks, the warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm he set realms he says therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand there's evil there's day of evil coming as well some of us face days of evil and and just maybe the 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 situations that we're in our our, our jobs or, or certain situations that that are just part of this world part of this life We need the full armor of God to stand up, to fight, that God would deliver us. The Lord's prayer, our prayer, he says there, forgive us our debts. He says, give us our daily bread. Lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. All these things, life's necessities, the daily needs that you and I have, forgiveness. We need forgiveness. We need to be forgiving others. We need guidance. We need help. We need need to be led by God in this life. Again, he's faithful to do that. And we need his strength and power to be delivered from the evil and the evil one in this world. These are all matters for prayer. These are all, again, as I mentioned earlier, these are all daily things that you and I face. We need to be praying daily. God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Remembering the prayer starts with him. The last words there for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It says amen. This is a, a, a you'll see it in, in the NIV down in the bottom in the margin there because this last little part is not in some manuscripts. It's found in other manuscripts, and I think the jury is still out whether these words were actually said by Jesus. But the truth is that these words bring us back around to God again. And the content is biblical. I want to just close this morning and and, uh, turn with me to the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And David is speaking there in chapter 29 in verse 10. Part of David's prayer we'll read together. It says there in verse 10, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious names. He goes goes on to pray about some of the needs they had right then. But he starts off with the Lord. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. To God be the glory. I believe Jesus wants us to use... That prayer, the simple Lord's Prayer, is a guide, is a model. I think most people in this room know it. You know it by heart. You've been taught it maybe as a child. You can use it in your quiet time. You can use it when you're in your beds going to sleep at night. Go through those things. Just think about them. Contemplate those ideas. Again, not thoughtlessly just repeating them, but thoughtfully using them as a guide to pray. Amen? Amen.